Charlene and Coloma. Coloma, the fellowship and the times together of studying together have been exceptionally rich, so it's been great to be able to share that with you over the years. Scott Grant here, one of the pastors, one of the elders. We are finishing up our series, which we are calling Explore God. So we have, we have asked these, so far, eight big questions of faith uh, in order to explore God. But we don't simply want to explore God for the sake of exploring God. We are exploring God in order to know God. That's the purpose of all of this, right? We want to explore God in order to know God, which brings us to our final question, how can I know God? Well, to serve this purpose, uh, toward the end of the service, we're going to ask those of you who already know God to share how you came to know God. So there's going to be an opportunity, which we call Life Together, toward the end of the service. So you might be thinking about that. And uh, when you think about sharing that, try to be succinct so we can get as many people in as possible. And we want to be able to encourage people who do not yet know God with stories from people who came to know God. So that's going to be one of the purposes that's going to be accomplished today. Now, we've asked these big questions of faith, but it seems to me that these questions of faith have posed barriers barriers to faith for many people. So are faith and science compatible? And we've tried to answer that question. Yes, faith and science are compatible and, and so forth. But, um, you know, it's, it's like, okay, here's, here's these barriers to faith, but is there, is there a reason to believe? And here's the reasons not to believe, and I want to, are there, are there reasons to believe? So think of it this way. There's a, um, a road that you've always been on, and there's this road off the side, but it's always been blocked. There's been a barrier there on that particular road. So you've never been able to go down that road. Now, say one time you're driving down the road and you see that the barrier has been removed. Do you want to take that road or not? And let's just say this is before Google and all that, so you don't know what's on the other side. So perhaps you'd like to know what's on the other side. Now, we hope that those of you who have been seeking the Lord, exploring God with us, we hope that you've already come to know God. But if you haven't, is there anything else you would like to know? Maybe you'd like to know what's on the other side. Maybe our sermons have helped you lessen the barriers to some degree so that you could take the road if you wanted to. But maybe you'd like to know what's on the other side. Romans 8.28, the Apostle Paul writes one of the most amazing sentences that has ever been written. It is absolutely staggering. If you've been in the church for a while, you've heard it a million times, and so it maybe becomes a little rote, but really, this is absolutely stunning. Listen to what he says. New Testament, Romans chapter 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, know God, love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. On the face of it, this is absurd. Because he doesn't say some things. He doesn't say God works some things together for good. He says God works all things together for good. That means bad things. That means evil things. God works, takes evil things, and he turns them into good things. Bad stuff into good stuff. Ugly things into beautiful things. That's what God does for those who love God or know God. Because to know God is to love God. So what's on the other side? Redemption. That's what's on the other side. God turns evil into good. Now, the classic biblical story of redemption is found in the book of Genesis, and it concerns this man by the name of Joseph. Genesis, first book in the scriptures, and here's how it goes. Joseph uh, has these brothers, and these brothers mistreat him. They abuse him. 
They throw him in a pit. Then they sell him into slavery in Egypt. And uh, he ends up in Egypt. He ends up being falsely accused in Egypt. All these bad things happen to Joseph. But eventually, uh, God has given him this, uh, the ability to interpret dreams. And Pharaoh in Egypt gets wind of this. And so then Joseph is able to interpret Pharaoh's dream to come to the understanding, to communicate that there are going to be seven years of famine. And that dream, the interpretation of that dream, then allows Pharaoh and Egypt and Joseph to prepare for these seven years of famine. So the brothers of Joseph are experiencing the famine as well. So they come to Egypt in search of grain, and they come up to Joseph and ask for grain. However, they don't know that it's Joseph. Finally, Joseph reveals himself to them so that they come to know that this is Joseph, and then they're afraid because they're afraid that Joseph is going to repay them for the evil that they did to him. Well, Joseph reveals himself to them, but something has happened in Joseph's heart. He's been able to see what God has done with all this bad stuff, with all this evil stuff, and he says this to his brothers. Don't worry. Genesis 50, verse 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Joseph could see. He wasn't bitter. He could forgive his brothers, especially because he could see what God used, how God used the evil that they had done to him. It's a story of redemption. Now I'm going to tell you a story of redemption from my own life. It concerns my right knee. This one right here. It's a story concerning my right knee. Now, at this time, 50 years ago in my life, I was a high school student, and I was doing what some of you are doing. I was exploring God. I wasn't reared in the church. I didn't know anything about faith. I didn't know anything about the scriptures. And a friend invited me to attend this youth group. And I went, and at the first meeting, I was intrigued. I continued to go back week after week. I went to two meetings per week, one on Sunday night, one on Wednesday night. And the barriers that I had against faith began to fall. Interestingly enough, however, a new barrier emerged. I took this class that was for uh, new believers or people who were exploring the faith. So I was exploring God. That seemed like the right class for me. So I went to that, and I was given this tract which told you the gospel and told you to put your faith in Jesus. And it also informed me that if I put my faith in Jesus, that my interests would begin to change. Now, that scared me. So I'm a high school junior. I was interested in sports. I was obsessed with sports. I played on the high school baseball team. I played on the high school basketball team. Now I was afraid. These people are telling me, if I put my faith in Jesus, my interests are going to change. Maybe Jesus is going to take sports away from me. So that was a concern for me. Nevertheless, a lot of other things seemed to be lining up. And even though I didn't know whether Jesus would take sports away from me, I committed my life to Christ almost 50 years ago after exploring God for about three months. I invited Jesus to be my Lord and Savior, and, um, and I've been trying to follow him ever since. And he did not take sports away from me, at least not right away. I continued to play uh, throughout high school and into college, recreational leagues, and beyond. But uh, in my 20s, there was this old knee injury that began to catch up to me. So let me tell you the story of my knee injury. 
now this is sort of like a movie that goes flashbacks and fast forwards and stuff like that. So now we're going all the way back to when I was 13 years old. This is when I suffered the knee injury. My parents took my two brothers and me skiing to Mount Rose in Nevada, near Reno. And uh, so we went skiing and I was bombing down this one particular hill. I'm 13 years old and I put too much weight on my right leg and I hear something snap and I, and I collapse into the snow. And I knew immediately that I suffered a serious injury. And at the same time, my mother was ascending the hill in a chairlift and she could see what happened. And I cried out, it's broken, it's broken. And I was terrified. I wasn't in pain, I was just afraid because I knew I had done something serious to my leg. And she cried out from the chairlift as she was inching her way forward, I'm coming, I'm coming. Turns out that x-rays showed that I had shredded the ligaments in my knee, which meant that I wouldn't be playing baseball that summer. Happened in March, I couldn't play baseball that summer. It was the most devastating thing that had happened in my life up to that point. Well, I went in for surgery, I was in a cast, I recovered well enough to be able to play on the freshman uh, baseball and basketball teams my following, uh, the following year at my high school. And so I recovered well enough and I was able to play well into my 20s. And then all of a sudden when I was in my 20s, this knee injury began to catch up to me. So I, um, and, and at that particular point, I was playing in this recreational basketball league and I realized about two minutes into the first game that I wasn't going to, be, going to be able to play anymore because of my balky knee. So I excused myself. My teammates continued on without me. I went into the locker room, and I was going back and forth, walking back and forth, trying to come to terms in my life with a life without sports. But something interesting happened at about the same time. I became involved in this church over in the East Bay, and I was a journalist at the time, and now I didn't have... All, this, all these sports to take up my time, and I became interested in the scriptures, so I started studying the scriptures intensely. And then I started shepherding uh, high school students and college students, and I found that I was passionate about the scriptures and shepherding and, and loving these high school students and these college students. And one thing led to another, and eventually people encouraged me, and I left my vocation as a journalist, and I became a pastor. So what God did is he took sports away from me, but not right away. And when he took them away from me, he gave me greater interests. He gave me greater loves, a love for the scriptures and a love for people. And ultimately, he gave me a new vocation as well. Now we're going to fast forward. I'm married. I have two little girls. And the question becomes, am I going to take them skiing? <laughs> so the opportunity comes up when some of our friends, Daryl and Carrie Sid, who are part of this church, Daryl's name was referenced earlier in connection with X245, uh, they invite us to go skiing and to take the girls skiing. And so I've got to work through this now. I've got to work through this. Am I going to do this? And I realize that I cannot let my childhood trauma rule the lives of my daughters. So yes, I'm on board. Okay, we're going to take them skiing. Then Daryl and Carrie informed us where we would be going skiing. 
Mount Rose. Dun, dun, dun. So now, now, really, I have to work through this again. Am I going to take it? I didn't, at first, I didn't want to go anywhere near that mountain. And I didn't want my daughters to go anywhere near that mountain. But I realized again, I can't let my childhood trauma rule the lives of my daughter. So I'm on board. Yes, we're going. We're going to Mount Rose. We're going to take them skiing at Mount Rose. I'm not going to go skiing. Uh, Karen, my wife over here, she skis a little bit. And so she's going to go skiing with them. But I was going to hole up in the lodge right next to the window. So that's what I did. I holed up in the lodge right next to the window so that I could see everything that's going on. And when I got there, I couldn't help casting a wayward glance back to the hill where I met my demise. I think it was 42 years earlier. So there was that, there's that hill. And I couldn't help reliving the accident. I couldn't help hearing my leg snap again. I couldn't help envisioning myself doing what I did back then, crumpling to the snow and looking up to my mother and crying out, it's broken, it's broken, and hearing her, I'm coming, I'm coming. But this time as I reflected on the accident, at the scene of the accident, I connected not so much with my own experience, but with the experience of my mother, because after all, I was a parent now. And I wondered, what was this like for my mother as she's looking down below and she's hearing her son crying out with this devastating injury, it's broken, it's broken, and she crying out back, I'm coming, I'm coming. But she's suspended in midair in this chairlift, inching herself forward like a snail when what she really wanted to do was, was speed to her son's side at the speed of light. What was it like for her? So God redeemed my accident by giving me a new perspective, that of a parent. First of all, he redeemed my accident by giving me a new vocation, that of a pastor, then a new perspective, that of a parent. So we signed the girls up for ski lessons, and uh, I was watching all this, and I could see what was going on. I was positioned by the window. And then uh, eventually, uh, Daryl and Karen took the girls out, and they went out skiing. And I could see this a little bit, but it was a little bit misty. And then eventually, after a while, they decided to come back in. And Bethany, the youngest daughter, who was six years old, who is 17, by the way, now, and leads you up here in worship once in a while. So she was six years old back then. She gives me permission to share this, because as long as you tell them I was six years old, okay? So she was six. She had somehow separated herself from the group. So she skied on ahead, and I could see what she was thinking. She was thinking that the group was going to return to where they started their lessons at that point in the lodge, but the group was actually skiing to a nearer point in the lodge to come back to the lodge. I saw this, and I thought, oh, maybe she's disoriented. Maybe she's a little scared being separate from the group. So as soon as I saw this, I was out of my chair in a shot, I, I shot through the doors, burst through the doors, ran down the stairs, sprinted with my tennis shoes into the snow. And by the time I got there, the six-year-old girl was, just had fallen down in the snow and didn't know what to do, and she was distraught. And so I picked her up, I brushed her off, and we walked back to the lodge. Only later did I realize that Bethany fell to the ground, fell to the snow at the base of the exact same hill where I had met my demise 42 years earlier. And in that, I saw that God was giving me 
an image of what he did for me as my heavenly father when I was 13 years old at that same hill. My mother couldn't get to me when she wanted to get to me, but what did my heavenly father do? He sprinted to my side to make something beautiful of my mangled knee. And that's what God does, friends. He makes something beautiful of the bad stuff in your life. So God redeemed my injury. First, by giving me a new vocation, that of a pastor. Second by, second, by giving me a new perspective, that of a parent. And third, by giving me a new image, that of my heavenly father sprinting to my side. Three weeks ago, I was in Nevada for the first time since we took the girls skiing probably 11 years ago or so. And we were staying in Reno. A friend of mine uh, was staying with me. We were on a fishing trip. And one day we were going out to dinner and we were driving along and my friend knows nothing of my history with Mount Rose. And he pointed out in the distance, there's Mount Rose. And I just looked up and I smiled. Maybe the story of redemption concerning my knee isn't finished yet. Here's the point. Give your life to Jesus Christ and you will watch God do story after story of redemption in your life. You will watch him turn bad stuff into good stuff. Even evil things that have been done to you or evil things in the world, you will see him work story after story after story of redemption. In your life, in the lives of others, in the world, you will see that. And finally, when Jesus comes back, he's going to redeem everything. And you're going to see that. What does this do for us who believe in Jesus? If you believe in Jesus, if you put your trust in him, what does it do for you? One of the things it does for you is it gives you hope. Because if this is what God does with evil, if this is what God does with bad stuff, you can wake up every morning and you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know whether something really, really bad is going to happen. But you can know this. God's going to do something beautiful with it. You can trust him. Therefore, we who follow Jesus Christ are men and women and boys and girls of hope. We can lament the bad stuff, and we should. But we're also men and women and boys of girls of hope. So, you, can, you know, God's going to do these things in your life. And every once in a while, he's going to take your breath away. John Miller is the play-by-play -play broadcaster for the San Francisco Giants, and he is a real craftsman. And he's able to make you feel as if you are there in the ballpark as he is describing what's happening. And one time, I remember, I was driving in the car, I think, and I, I listened to him on the car once, in the car once in a while. I listened to the ball games, and he was describing a home run. I don't remember all the way he described it, but... Uh, it was an awesome, towering, majestic home run. And then uh, after the player who had hit the ball crossed home plate and went back to the dugout, and after all the fans who had risen to their feet uh, returned to their seats, he said, that was breathtaking. If you give your life to Christ, and if you know God, you will watch and you will see him do breathtaking things. He will take your breath away. What is the worst thing that has ever happened in human history? It has to be the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only sinless person who ever lived. 
And what happened on the cross? He was crucified. He was executed. Not only was he executed, he was crucified in this shameful way. And what happens on the cross? He absorbs the every, every sin of every person who has ever lived. Every evil act that has ever been done, that goes to him. That is the worst thing that has ever happened. It is also the best thing that has ever happened. God turned the most evil thing that has ever been done into the best thing that has ever been done. Because what does the crucifixion of Jesus Christ mean? It means the salvation of those who put their trust in him. That's what it means. It's the best thing that has ever happened. Now, if you don't yet know God, do you want to know God? Which brings us to our question, how can I know God? Jesus himself answers the question. Mark chapter 1, verse 15, he says this, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Two steps. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's what Jesus says. To repent means to turn away from the road that you're on. And uh, for a lot of us, this is really self-orientation. For some of us from maybe different cultures, it means an orient, orientation toward the tribe or the culture or the group. But the gospel proclaims that Jesus is Lord. The individual isn't Lord. I'm not Lord. You're not Lord. The group or the culture or the tribe, that's not Lord. Jesus is Lord. So you repent, you turn away from all of the ways that you've been living, thinking along these really perverted lines about who is Lord, who rules the world, who rules my life, who rules our tribe, who rules our culture. You turn away from that and you recognize the truth of the gospel that Jesus is Lord and you turn to him, you give your allegiance to him, you invite him into your life and you start following him and God forgives your sins. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he said, it is finished. Now, those words would often be used for bills when they've been paid. Stamp it. It is finished. It's done. It's over. So what are you trying to achieve in your life? What are you hoping for? Maybe you want to prove yourself. Maybe you want to advance in life. Maybe you feel like you're not good enough. Maybe there's a God, maybe there isn't a God, and you're just having all these questions, and you don't really know, and you, you're going down a road, and you think this is it, and oh, no, it's really not doing, for, doing it for you, and then you come to the conclusion, perhaps, it is finished. It's over. I'm going to give my life to Jesus. Maybe some of you would like to do that today, if you haven't done that already. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Now, it is not necessary to have complete confidence. Doubt is permissible. In fact, doubt, doubt is expected. Look at it this way. So you're on this road, and you know that this road is heading for a cliff. You know you've got to get off that road. And then there's this road over here. You don't really know about it. You have doubts about it, but you can still take the road even though you have doubts about it, especially if you know that the road you're on is going off a cliff. It's not the strength of your faith that matters. It's the object of your faith that matters. And if Jesus Christ is the object of your faith, Jesus Christ who died for your sins and who conquered death and who is Lord of all even now, then you're good to go. 
Take that road. Take that road which is open. Strong faith in a bad road is fatally inferior to weak faith in a good road. It's not the strength of your faith, folks. It's the object of your faith. You can have doubt and still take the road. You can have doubt and still put your faith in Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God is at hand. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand because the king is here. That is Jesus. The time is fulfilled. The time for you to put your faith in Jesus Christ Is it now? That's what Jesus says. The time is fulfilled. Maybe everything's been leading up to this moment. So there's this this road you're on. And you've been driving down this road a long time. There's this other road. There's been a barrier in front of this road all these years. Now you're driving down this road and you see that the barrier has been removed. The road is open. And this road leads to redemption. And this road is calling. Take that road. And you know, one of the best things about that road, it goes on forever. Take that road. Breathtaking stories of redemption lie ahead. What are you waiting for? Listen to the Apostle Paul, New Testament, book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 6, verse 2. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, Now is the day of salvation. Now is the time. We've been exploring God long enough. Now is the time to know God. That's what I figured out 50 years ago. And when I made my decision for Christ, I had been told earlier by the pastor, the youth pastor of this group that I was going, if you're going to make a decision for Christ, it would be helpful if you had somebody with you to pray with. And that way, the decision for Christ would be more memorable. So I decided that sounds like a good idea. So I asked a friend of mine who was part of this youth group. I also played on the basketball team with him if uh, he would pray with me. And he said yes. And so I pedaled over to his house on December 3rd, 1973, almost 50 years ago. So I went to meet him in his house. We were walking down East Rose Circle. I remember it distinctly. Memorable. And I prayed. I invited Jesus Christ into my life. I confessed my sins. I did my best I could to repent. This other stuff isn't what I should be living. I should be living for you. And I invited Jesus into my life. And we're walking down East Rose Circle. We get about halfway down, and I say, amen. Now what do you do? Okay. We stopped. My friend turns and looks at me. He says, you're in. Sorry. And I've been in for 50 years. Question. For those of you who do not know Jesus yet, would you like to get in? I I can't promise you it's going to be easy. In fact, I can promise you it's going to be hard. But I can also promise you it's going to be great and awesome and beautiful. I invite you to give your life to Christ. If you would like to do that today, here's what I suggest. If you want it to be memorable... After the service is over, I'll be up here. Sherlene will be up here. We'll have some prayer people over here by this wall. Please come up, seek us out. We'd be more than happy to pray with you. Also, there's going to be a lunch afterwards, especially for those who are exploring God upstairs in the upper room. We've been doing this for eight weeks. This is going to be our final one today. Seek us out. We'd be happy to pray with you so that you could accept Christ 
and know him as your Lord and Savior so that you can know God and experience story after story after story of redemption. And then next week, get baptized. Sign up for that. We'll get you baptized.